listening to the weekly sermon podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. If you'd like to learn more about CBC, check out our website at cbcofsavannah.org. And now this week's sermon from the series Identity, a study on the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 5, if you don't have a Bible, there's one in front of you, you can grab that, and we're on page either 635, I believe. My, my children enjoy playing with my wife's old cell phone, and this is like, you know, this thing looks like the brick, I mean, back from the 80s, right? It's a non-Apple product, so it's broken, um, and, and it it's, it's, doesn't have a touch screen, and, you know, it doesn't have any games or fun stuff, it's got one of those little mini keyboards, and they slide it, and, and you should see them, they, they act as if this thing is like the coolest thing ever. They pretend they're typing and dad, I'm going to send you a text and dad, I'm going to call you and ooh, look at us. And you know, they all do it, but especially the little ones. But here's the thing. The thing hasn't had power for over a year, two years, no electricity to that thing. I don't even know where the charger is. And even if it was charged, it's not connected to anything. There's no cell service, but that doesn't stop them. They just keep typing away and text messaging and emailing and all those things, right? Pretending and going through the motions, like everything's working fine. And I thought about that and I thought about us sometimes. How often is our Christianity that way? We're typing and going through the motions. We're texting and we're doing all these things. But there's no power. It's not connected to anything. We act like it is. We act like there's stuff behind it. But really it's just us playing games. And there's no life change. There's no fruit. It's just emptiness. Right? And, and when we fail, what do we do? Well, I'll just try harder next time. I'll, I'll try to be good. I'll try to do this. I'll, I'll go to more Bible studies. I'll, I'll listen to more podcasts. I'll, I'll, I'll pray longer. It's all about try, 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 do, do, do. More, 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 more effort, more effort, more effort. And look, walking in this Christian life and living out the Christian life will never be accomplished by more human effort. Never. It is never will human effort be the key to living the Christian life. It just won't. It's just dead phone, talking to nobody. So what is the key then? If there's going to be life change, if there's going to be power, if there's going to be connection, if there's going to be stuff going on, what is the key for us? Paul's given us a ton of commands. Walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Forgive one another. Speak truth and love. All these things. So if if trying hard is not the key, what is the key? That's our text this morning. Ephesians 5. Just a couple verses. And look, this is... If you're new to church and you're, or maybe you've been here, this is a little bit meaty. It's the meat of the word, right? But you know what? 15-year-olds, 25-year-olds, they don't just drink out of the bottle. You got to grow up a little bit sometimes. You got to get a little bit meaty sometimes. And this is the kind of sermon that though it's not going to, ooh, there's no David and Goliath and woo, you know, there's no flashiness. I do have a bow tie. That's about as flashy as I got for you. <laughs> I tied it myself. But I know, YouTube, right? Yeah, you know? That's as flashy as it gets, but this is the meat and this is essential if we're going to be a church that functions the way God calls us to, if there's going to be fruit, if there's going to be someone on the other line. And so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the spirit because we've been talking about who our identity is in Christ. And one of those essential things we talked about, yes, we're chosen, we're adopted, we're forgiven, we're the body, we're one with the Gentiles and the Jews and all these things. But one of the critical things we talked about in chapter one is that we have been sealed 
by the Holy Spirit of God, which gives us, shows that we're authentically his and there's security there and there's ownership and there's authority. And, and the spirit of the living God, this is kind of a, you know, the cheat sheet for today's sermon is the key to the Christian life. Anything else? If the spirit's not in it, if it's not behind it, it's just talking on a dead phone. So let's look at what the apostle says about the spirit. Verse 17. Therefore, and when we see therefore, everyone, what do we ask? What's it there for? We've seen this every time the last five weeks, right? And he's linking back to what he just said. He just told us we're to imitate our dads. We talked about that two weeks ago. Lust, uh, love, not lust. Light, not darkness. Wise, not unwise. And, and wise people live and make the most of the times because they're evil and they live wisely. And he says there, therefore, because you're living wise, because you're walking in light, do not be foolish. But understand what the will of the Lord is. Some of you, especially you young guys, what's God's will for my life? That's what you're asking, right? What's God's will? I want to know God's will. What's God's will? You want to know God's will? There's several passages in the New Testament that says, this is the will of God. 1 Thessalonians 4. This is the will of God. Your sanctification. That you abstain from sexual immorality. Boom. That's God's will for your life. 1 Thessalonians 5. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Don't quench the spirit. Why? This is the will of God. 1 Peter. Obey the authorities, the governing authorities. Why? This is the will of God. These are God's will for your life. Here's another one of these passages. Paul says, you want to know God's will? Here it is. Right? Here's what the will of the Lord is. Verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine. For that's debauchery. That's emptiness. It's just nothingness is what the word means. But be filled with the Spirit. So you have two commands. You got a negative. Don't get drunk with wine. You got the positive. Right? Be filled with the Spirit. Let's talk about them both. All right? Real quick. Do not get drunk with wine. Why? It's dissipation. It's emptiness. It's just, it's just silly. It's dumb. Don't get drunk with wine. He doesn't say, never in your life have a glass of wine. All right? It's not what he says. I know some of you come from traditions that every time you see the word wine, oinos in the Greek in the New Testament, it means Welch's grape juice. That's what it means. Right? Jesus made... Welches, right? That's what he did. Or white grape juice or something else, right? The problem with that is this. The Greek word does not just mean Welch's grape juice. It means that which is fermented from the grape, right? Now, was it the same alcohol contact? Was it a white Zinfandel from the Northern California? No, it's not the same thing. But the fermentation process is there because it makes no sense. Otherwise, when he tells you put new wine in the new wine skins, old wine in old wine skins. It make that if it's grape juice, it makes no sense because what causes the wine to burst the skins is the fermentation process, right? So the idea there is no, don't get drunk with grape juice. I'm pretty sure all of us can obey that command. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm not going to have any problem with that one. Don't get drunk with wine. Do not get drunk. Drunkenness is sin. Now we got people all over the map. We have ex-alcoholics, a lot of them. And for you, there is no freedom to have a glass of wine because of your past. But we have other people who have never been drunk in their lives. And what we have to get, and this is just a side note for some of us because it's a hot issue in the South. We have to get beyond what your convictions are on certain things that might differ from others that are not. There's no biblical mandate. What happens in the churches is this is the way you're supposed to do school. This is the way you're supposed to do birth control. This is the way you're supposed to do this. This is the way you're supposed to do that worship style. And our convictions and our preferences become absolute truth. And if that group on the other side doesn't agree with us, they're sinners. Because we've set the standard that is 
abiblical. It's extra biblical. It's not, there's no verse that says you must not use drums. But if you use drums, oh, evil group. Oh, you must wear a tie. Look, y'all are pagans. I'm wearing a tie today. I'm just telling you, all right? All right. There's no rule. If that's a conviction, fine. If this person over here says, you know, it's not, we're not, we don't feel free. Great. And this person says, you know what? I'll have, I'll have a, a glass of wine with my whatever. As long as you are free in your conscience, two, that you're not causing someone to stumble and you're 21 because the law says that you're free in Christ. And when we talk about stumbling, we're not talking about, I don't like that they do that. That's not stumbling. Stumbling is, I don't feel free to do that. There's, it would be sin for me. And because you're in front of me doing it and flaunting your freedom, I am tempted to thus go and sin. And you have caused a brother to stumble. And God says, that's sin. Now, look, just so you know, I don't have a dog in this fight because I haven't had an alcoholic beverage since 1997. Unless sweet tea is considered that. So, I mean, I don't drink. I just don't. I was an alcoholic in college. So I'm not saying this. So, you, you know, I'm telling you because I don't want the church to become this we do it this way and everyone who does it is out. Because when convictions become absolute truth rather than the scripture, we turn into a cult-like place where there's uniformity and everyone looks the same. We all do the exact same thing and look the same, but there's not real true unity. And quite honestly, I like the fact that we have people all over the map that come around the gospel, the core doctrines of the faith, the Trinity and salvation by grace and the inspiration of scripture. And we come around those core doctrines and we'll give up our preferences for the sake of everyone else. That is unity. Uniformity is everyone does the same, looks the same and everything's the same. And if you don't look like us, well, you can go up the street because we don't want you here because this is our little group. And that is not the church. That's why 1 Corinthians gets hammered. Who's Paul? Who's Apollos? Who are all these things? What matters? The truth of the gospel, period. So that's where we're going to go. And so, but anyway, I say all that, and that's not even the point of the passage. The whole reason he uses this illustration of alcohol is not so we can talk about it. It's because the person that is influenced by alcohol, every facet of their life is influenced by it, right? The drunk, their speech, their sight, what they think, the way they act, there's a, they just kind of... Everything they do is influenced by the alcohol. And he says, no, no, no. Don't get drunk with wine. Don't be influenced with wine. And just in case you're a, an alcoholic Pharisee and you're thinking, oh, he didn't say anything about tequila. It's just wine, okay? <laughs> no, it's don't be influenced by anything. Don't be controlled, enslaved by anything except what? The spirit. The controlling agent in your life should not be pot. I don't care if it's legal now. It shouldn't be alcohol. It shouldn't be pain pills that you're addicted to. The controlling influence of your life should be what? What does he say? The spirit of God. Do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit. Right? And so here's our key principle for today. If you get nothing else, it's this. The key to living the Christian life is being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's being filled, controlled with the Holy Spirit of God. That's the key. There's no fruit apart from it. It's a dead phone apart from it. It's a, it's a, there's a disconnect apart from the Holy Spirit and being filled. Everything God wants to give you in life, joy, peace, comfort, discernment, character, guidance, intimacy, satisfaction, everything is going to come through the indwelling presence of the Spirit. And if you are born again, you have the Spirit. Now, for the sake of those who are new Christians or maybe have never been taught, let me just kind of talk briefly about the Holy Spirit. CBC, we love the Holy Spirit. Everyone, everyone ever asks you, are you a spirit-filled church? You say, yeah. Now, that means different than what they're probably asking. But you just tell them we're filled with the Spirit because we love the Holy Spirit. We invite the Holy Spirit. 
Two things you need to know about the Holy Spirit. All right? Number one is this. The Holy Spirit is fully God. He is fully God by nature. What the Father is, the Son is. What the Son is, the Spirit is. They are of one essence. They are of one nature. He is absolutely, positively, fully God. Right? He's not less than God. He's not a force. He's not used the force, Luke. It's not Yoda's pal. He is God. He can be, if when he is lied to, Acts chapter 5, Paul says, you lie to the Spirit, you've lied to God. He is called the Lord in 2 Corinthians. He is eternal in Hebrews 4, Psalm 139. He is omnipresent. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Nowhere. He is fully God and thus the man is, is deserving of worship. The same worship the Father and the Son. Understand he is fully God. But understand also this. He is a person. He is not an it. He is not a thing. Not a person with body. He has personality. All right? He's as much person as the Father. He's as much person as the Son. How, how do I know that? He has a will. He gives gifts as he wishes. He leads. He convicts. He, he can be quenched. He can be grieved. So he has all the things of personality. Beyond that, even Greek grammar demonstrates that the Holy Spirit is not a thing. It is a, he is a person. Greek grammar, and any grammar for that matter, is, is demands that when you have a pronoun, this is like fourth grade for some of us, so don't be scared. But for, for a pronoun, when it replaces a noun, has to agree in number and in gender. What that means is this. Let me give you an example. If I say my son is outside, it ran to the car. You would say, that don't make sense. All right, it ran to the car. What would I say? My son ran to the car. My son is outside. He has to agree. It's masculine, right? Or if I said my sons, plural, I would say they. I has to agree in neuter. I mean, in, in number and in, in person and in, uh, in masculine, feminine. Yeah, right. All right. They have to agree with each other. Well, in Greek, the same is true. You have a masculine, you have a feminine, and you have a neuter, right? The word for spirit, pneuma, is a neuter noun. It's not masculine, feminine. It's neuter. So it demands a neuter pronoun or a neuter article if it's being used. But what Jesus does in John 15 and 16, when he talks about the spirit of God, he breaks all grammar rules. He said, the spirit will come. And instead of saying a neuter pronoun, he says, he, he makes it masculine. He doesn't use the neuter it. He says, no, the spirit, he will come. He will guide you. He will do these things. Is Jesus, did he just skip that day in grammar? No, he is teaching a theological principle that the spirit of God is not an it. He is not a force. He is a he. And he lives in you if you've been born again. He is God and he is a person, right? He has personality, right? Essential for you to get that. And so he says here, be filled with the spirit. Real quick, I don't want to get too far off of this, but filling and baptism of the Spirit, a lot of confusion, they are different. Not the same thing. Baptism of the Spirit is a one-time event. When you get saved, you are immersed or baptized. Just like when we get baptized by water, you're immersed in the water. When you are immersed in, into the body of Christ, you are done it by the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12. For in one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body. All of us. Even this immature, carnal church... It's not an issue of maturity. It's not an issue of, oh, I get to a second level, a second level of Christianity. When you became a Christian, you were baptized into the body of Christ. You were immersed one time. It's not repeated. 
right? And it doesn't necessarily mean you spoke in tongues. Ethiopian eunuch, never spoke in tongues. The apostle Paul, when he got saved, never spoke in tongues. Philippian jailer, when he got saved, Acts 16, didn't speak in tongues. Sometimes it happened, sometimes it didn't. But when a person is baptized into the church, when they are baptized by the spirit, it's a one-time deal. Filling, on the other hand, is not the same. It is a repeated deal. Read through the book of Acts. Peter was filled, chapter 2. Peter was filled again, chapter 3. Peter was filled, chapter 4. The church was filled continually. It's a repeated thing. And even in this command right here, it's a repeated thing. Do not get drunk with wine, but be filled. It's a present imperative. And it could be translated, keep being filled. Continually be filled with the Spirit. Baptism is never commanded in the Spirit. Filling is. So they are different. And the idea is this. When we talk about being filling, it's not like, well, this, this water is just filled to the top. He's just filled with the Spirit. No, it's not filled with the content. The idea is control. It, it, the idea of the drunk person is controlled by alcohol. No, the Spirit-filled person is controlled by the Spirit. The language is that of a picture of a sailboat with no wind. Where's it going? Nowhere has nothing in itself. And don't tell, I know some of them have engines. Don't give me that. Don't know. I know some mailboats. Got it. Right. All right. A real sailboat, no engine. Right. Where's it going without wind? Nowhere. Does it have any energy in itself? None. It needs the wind. But what happens when the wind feels its sail? It moves. It directs. It, it, It does what it's created to do. That's the language here. When you are filled with the spirit, You are controlled and it drives and it directs and it still uses your personality and it still uses who you are, but it drives. That's the driving force. There's the power, the spirit. Apart from the spirit of God, there is no power. Jesus tells the disciples, well, I want you to go in all the nations and I want you to baptize and teach and I want you to do all these things. But before you do, do not leave Jerusalem. Don't you dare leave Jerusalem until what? Until you are clothed on high with power. Because you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then you can go be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea. Power comes from the Spirit. And if you're going to be the kind of, if you're going to be the Christian that God wants you to be, and you're going to live this life that God wants you to see and see victory, it's going to come from the power of the Holy Spirit in your so-called sails. Driving you, moving you. And anything else is just empty cell phone. No one's there. No one's there. Nothing's going on. Understand, CBC, you can be a indwelt Christian. You can have the Holy Spirit indwelling you. You can be a Christian and not be filled. You can be born again and not be a spirit-filled Christian. It is possible. And we're going to talk about it a little bit. So the question for us is this. If, if the, being filled with the Spirit is key, my question is, on how can I be filled? What do I need to do? Go to church? Read my Bible? Say a little chant? Do something. How do I be filled with the Spirit? Look at the text. It doesn't tell us. Right? It just tells us to be do it. Do, do it. Be filled with the Spirit. Well, what does that mean? How did I do it? Look, struggle with this all week because I want to be practical. I want to help you. But I'm thinking, Paul, you could have given me like three things to do to be filled so I could tell these folks. Right? Because they're going to be asking, well, you tell be filled. But here's the thing. Sometimes the Scripture doesn't give you a little formula. In fact, most of us, especially men, we like formulas. Give me A plus B equals spirit-filled. I'm happy. Give me A plus B equals good marriage. Give me A plus B minus C and give me good kids. But that's not how the Christian life is. It's not a relationship. 
And so I want to give you a few things. It's interesting that the command here is in the passive voice. It doesn't say go fill yourself. It's be filled constantly. Because you don't do anything as far as the filling. It's about being yielded so the spirit can fill. And so it's interesting in that way as a passive command. But what we can do is what? We can put the sail up, can't we? We may not be able to move ourselves, but we can surely get ourselves in a position for God to fill our sails. And so I want to give you four, maybe five, depending on where we go, practical, hopefully, things to just not to give a formula. This is not, oh, honey, I'm on number three. Where are you at this week? No, that's not that. But just so you can say, okay, here's, here's some principles to kind of get my sail up. All right? Four principles just about getting our sail up. Because the key to the Christian life is being filled with the Holy Spirit, right? All right, here's the first one. Confession and repentance. And you can look at some of these passages later this week. But Psalm 66, 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord does not hear. You throw your anchor out of the boat and pull your sail down, you're not going anywhere. You, if you're quenching the Spirit and if you're resisting the Spirit and you're grieving the Spirit, and we talked about grieving a few weeks ago in Ephesians 4. You're not going anywhere. If you're telling God, well, I'll, I'll do this, but don't touch my relationship right here. Don't touch this little, this little gluttony thing that I'm nursing. Don't touch this little addiction. Everything else, yeah, I'll give you, God, but don't. If that is your heart, if you're saying, God, no, 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 can't be filled. If, if there's something in your life that's unrepentant, it needs to be confessed needs to be repented of. And I'm not saying get legalistic here. Oh, I have unrepented sin. I, in fourth grade, I gave a wedgie to that kid in the locker room. Oh, God. I mean, I, I put attack on the teachers, whatever, in first grade. Oh, God. For, no, we're not talking about legalism. We're talking about, hey, in your life, are you speaking to your wife in a respectful way? Are you constantly criticizing people? Are these things that God has shown you and you're just like, I don't care what you say, God? Look, if we confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The, the principle is just confession. Keep short accounts with God. Confess your sins. Search God, search my heart. Get alone this week and just ask God. Get a pen and paper out and say, God, show me a couple things that I'm just resisting you in. He, if you're willing to listen, He's willing to talk. And he'll put, he'll put His finger on some stuff. And then if you really want to see fruit, take that little list and go to your wife, go to your accountability partner, go to your small group and say, here's where God is working on me. And I want you to help me. So that's true biblical community. It's confessing our sins to one another and praying for one another. Is that humbling? Yes, sir. Is that how we grow? Yes, sir. So there's that principle of confession and repentance. Right? Secondly, it's Humility. And we talk about this a lot because the nature of man is just arrogance. But God is opposed to the proud and gives grace to the humble. Proverbs eleven two. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. Where there is humbleness, there is wisdom. You can find verse upon verse about arrogance and pride in the scriptures. Because the proud heart says this. I don't need nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I need Jesus to forgive my sins, but I'm good. I've been through the training. I've gone to Bible college. I've been in church 20 years. I know how to share the gospel. I got this. I can take care of it. I don't need nobody. And somewhere along the line, the church has bought this mentality that we need Jesus to save us from our sins. 
And one day Jesus will give us a new body. But while we're in the middle, I'll take care of that part. And we forget that Paul says that he who began a good work, he is the one that will complete it, not you. So when you go into the situation thinking, I got this sin, I'll take care of this. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pray more. This is what we do. And some of you are there. I got this, this addiction. I'm going to just pray more. I'm going to memorize more verses. I'm going to more, listen to more podcasts. I'm going to read another book. I'm going to go to another conference. I'm going to go to another small group. I'm going to do six more things and that'll help me. And those things in themselves are fine. But if you think just tacking on religious activity is going to break the na- nature of your sin, what does Paul say? Walk by the Spirit and then you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Not go to another Bible study and you will not. You think, oh, I know how to share the gospel. I got it. I've led 37 people to Christ in the last two years. I'm going to answer every one of their questions. I can, cha- I can go. I can deal with all their issues. I will show them and they will believe. Really? In Acts 16, it says that the Lord opened Lydia's heart so that she may believe. Not Paul. It was the Lord who did that. I'm going to go be a witness at my work. I'm going to win people to Christ at SCAD. And we're going to do all these things. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to do it. I can do all these things. Really? It seems to me that Acts 1 says that when God fills them with their spirit, then they are witnesses. See, see, it all relates back to the spirit. And the arrogant person says, I don't need anything. The arrogant person's about themselves. If you're about yourself and making yourself known and bringing glory to yourself, God is opposed to that. But if you're about making him known, so I can get behind that. So humility is huge. Sanctification, the, the, the idea of growing is not... There's this great skit on the internet. You can YouTube it later. It's this Bob Newhart skit. And he's a counselor and the lady comes in and he says, Ah, oh, we'll be done in five minutes. I got two words that'll help you. She's like, okay, I, I have a, a fear of being buried in a box. And he's like, buried in a box, really? He's like, well, here, here's, here's my advice to you. He just yells, stop it! <laughs> but she's like, but no, it's real. Stop it! Stop it! And that's... Sometimes that's our idea of sanctification. Well, just stop it. Just stop. Look, apart from Christ, you cannot stop. Can he enable you? Yes. But you cannot stop. Your nature is that of sin. You need the spirit to give you victory. It is him the one who, who, who gives us everything pertaining to life and godliness. And it's a humility. It's those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are satisfied. It's as the deer pants for water, so my soul longs for you. That's the heart that God says, oh, that sails up. Move them on. So humility. Next one's faith. Without faith, it's what? Possible to please God. Romans 15, 13. Paul says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. How? In believing. So that the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abide in hope. Where does it come from? In believing. Faith. Taking, taking God at his word. God says this, I believe him. Maybe I don't understand it, but I believe him. It's just simply taking God at his word. It's, it's not some radical thing. God, you said it. I believe it. I'm going to trust you. It's interesting that the apostle um, Luke in his gospel talks about Stephen, the first martyr. And when he describes Stephen, you know what he says? He was a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. When he talks about Barnabas in Acts chapter 10, he says he was a man of faith. And full of the Holy Spirit. The two go hand in hand. Taking God at his word. And some of you, you just, you, you're down and you feel like there's no victory and there's no hope. And it'll never happen and all these things. And let me just encourage you this morning. Look, God wants you. It is normal. It is right. It is good for you to be filled. It's his will. 
It is his will as a father to bless his children. That doesn't mean you're going to win a bazillion dollars. But he wants to be good to you. And he wants to use you. And he wants to change you. And he wants to comfort you. As the Holy Spirit is called the comforter. And he wants to mold you after the image of his son. It's his will. This is not prosperity theology. It is God's will to fill you and use you. And, and it's not First John 5 and 6, it's 14 and 15. The verse is messed up, but here's what he promises. This is the confidence we have towards him. If we ask anything according to his will, is it his will for you to be filled? Yes. Then he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, and we know he does, and whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests. If you, if you have a heart and a hunger and a desire to be filled... Believe him. He will fill you. It said, it said that Spurgeon, as he'd walk up into his high pulpit, greatest preacher in the last 200 years, he'd walk up into this great pulpit. At every step, he would say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. And I've tried to practice that for all three steps here. <laughs> but it's a great practice. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe. Do you believe that God is good? That it's possible and normal to be filled and empowered by God. To see power. Power is not just something that the Apostle Peter saw. And I'm not saying you're going to raise people from the dead. But power to overcome sin. Power to see your life change. Power to see God move. Power, power, power. It comes through faith. Right? Confession. Humility. Faith. And the last one is the gospel. And when we talk about the gospel, the word good news just means that Jesus became a man died on a cross in your place as your substitute and rose again for the forgiveness of sins. That's the good news. And, and where I get this is this. This is pretty cool stuff. Here's two passages together. Here's our passage, Ephesians 5. Be filled with the Spirit. And look what happens when you're filled with the Spirit. We're going to get into this in a minute. But you, you address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You sing and make melody to the Lord with your heart. You're thankful. Right? That's the sign of someone who's filled with the Spirit. They sing and they worship and they give thanks. Look at Colossians 3.16. Almost identical. In fact, Colossians and Ephesians are sister letters. They're written at the same time. Paul's in jail. Just sent to different churches. And Paul says this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's a different command. But look at the result. Teaching and admonishing one another. Wisdom, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. With thankfulness in your heart. It's almost identical. The results of letting the word of Christ richly dwell within you. And the results of being filled with the spirit are the same. There's worship. There's thankfulness. Why? Because the two go hand in hand. When you let the word of Christ. And that's not talking about the, the Bible in way of application. It's talking about the message about Christ. Who he is and what he's done. He's talking about the gospel. When you let that permeate you. As the New Living Translation says, let the message about Christ and all its riches, richness fill your lives. When you grasp grace that you were separated by God and he made you a son and he made you an heir and he did all these things. And when you let that permeate your thinking and you meditate on it, you constantly come back to it. It compels you, Paul says. The love of Christ controls us. It compels us. And it fills your spirit with his spirit. Because it will bring humility and it will bring faith. It'll bring all these things we've been talking about. Because you realize it's not from me, it's from Christ. It'll bring you to repentance. The gospel, this is why the word gospel is used over a hundred times in the New Testament. Speaking of this, this is why Paul, uh, uh, Jesus gives us the Lord's Supper. Which reminds us of what? The gospel. This is why he gives us baptism. Which pictures what? The death, burial, and resurrection the gospel. This is why they still in heaven are singing about the gospel. You think, oh, once we go to heaven, we won't sing about it. Contraire mon frere. Read, Ephes- read Revelation 5. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. 
He redeemed a people for himself. We will forever and ever and ever be singing of the gospel. And it is to permeate the thinking of God's people because it drives us to humility and it fills and energizes our souls so that we are filled with the Spirit of God. Right? The gospel. Humility. Faith. Repentance. Not a formula. Please don't go home and say, well, we're working on number one this week. Not a formula. Just putting your sail up constantly. Short accounts with God. Taking God at His word. In humility. Coming back to the gospel. Coming back to the cross. You say, well, what does it look like then? How do I know if I'm spirit-filled? What does that look like? What is, it, what is the fruit of that? Well, we could go to Galatians. We don't have time because the fruit of the spirit is what? Love and joy and patience and goodness and kindness and self-control and peace. All those things. But it's also something here. We just saw it. Three things he says. Three signs of someone who's filled with the spirit. Number one, they address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. They sing and make melody to the Lord with their heart. Spirit-filled Christians worship and sing. They worship and sing. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Isn't it interesting that drunk people sing? I mean, karaoke bars are not... I mean, it's a karaoke bar, right? It's a people, drunk people sing. They sing, you know, Neil Diamond and, and uh, you know, whoever else. America, come on, everyone. You know, they sing the, the national anthem, whatever it is. When they're influenced by alcohol, they sing. Those under the influence of the Spirit, you know what they do? They sing. You know why? Because we have a God who sings. Do you realize that? Do you ever think about the fact that Jesus sang? You ever wonder about what did Jesus sound like when he sang? Did he sound like Pacelli? Right? Did he have a twang, kind of a Nazareth twang to him? Did he have a tenor? Did he have a bass? Did he start the song? Did he kind of get Peter to start it and he jumps in? Did he close his eyes and worship to the Father? Did he, did he look at his disciples and just kind of smile as they sang together? We have a Savior who sang because he was joyful. We have a faith that is joyful. First Chronicles 15, my favorite verse on worship and singing. David commanded the chiefs of the Levites to appoint their brothers as the singers who should play loudly on musical instruments. I love that part. On harps and lyres and cymbals. Why? To raise the sounds of joy. Singing is raising the sound of joy. Christianity is a joyful faith. And Christians... Raise the sound of joy. Why? Because God the Holy Spirit, who has for all eternity past been glorifying the Son and glorifying the Father forever and ever in the past. And now when you're filled, He invites you in on that party. You get to join Him in glorifying the Son and glorifying the Father. And look, there's some things that you just can't speak. You have to sing them. I mean, you just can. Some of the great hymns of the faith. Oh, worship the King. Oh, glorious above. And gratefully sing. You can't say it. You got to sing it. You can't sing. We sang it earlier. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. God, you are higher than anyone other. It just doesn't work. You got to sing it. Right? You have to sing it. Some things just need to be sung. Right? You were created to do it. You were created to worship. Even those who don't worship Jesus, they sing and ultimately they worship. So you got folks, you know, you got the the teeny boppers. They go and they sing and they worship the beebs. Right? Screaming for the Biebs, singing the Biebs' songs, wherever they go, right? Oh, Justin Bieber, oh, yeah! You know, they're screaming. Some of you go to your stadiums, 
Thousands and millions of people go to stadiums and they sing and they worship. Fly, eagles, fly. On the I know the song for my team, right? You guys got your, oh, mine's a better song for sure. But, oh, that's a worship song right there. Right? Either way, it's singing and it's ultimately worshipful because you're, you're trying to, you know, get something done. Shouldn't those whose God came, died on a cross and rose again, victorious, should they not sing and shout? If the beeb's getting shouted to, shouldn't the Son of Man get shouted to? Yes. And so when we, preaching is one of the parts of the service and it's the high point. But you know what? When the sermon's over, don't leave. We still got some singing to do. He said, well, I'm not good. Most of us aren't. That's okay. You're making a joyful noise to the Lord. He said, well, what if they hear me? Good. What would you rather? The God of the universe who hears everything and sees. Would you rather him see you pulling a Beyonce lip syncing or singing lousy? Think about it. He's the one who gave you your voice. If he wanted you to be Bacelli, you would have been Bacelli. Some of our worst singers are our loudest singers, and I love it. Right? Talk to Kane, Pastor Kane. Yeah, he's, he's probably in the top, bottom shot on the shelf there. Right? But you know what? He sings with all his gut. Love it. That's, what, that's the way it's supposed to be. We make a joyful grunt, some of us. Noise to the Lord. Right? And we sing psalms. This is Old Testament psalms. Many of the songs we sing are based on the Old Testament psalms. We sing hymns that speak truth about who God is. And they have choruses that we come together. Spiritual songs. This is kind of just a general term. Notice there's variety. Why is there variety in singing? Because we have a God of variety. He's not the same. In every, he's, he's holy, but he's joyful and he's love. And so there should be variety in our singing. One week we'll have just a guitar. The next week we'll have strings. The next week we'll rock it out. Next week we might do only piano. But there's a variety because our God is variety. Right? There's these diversity. Look at his creation. And so there might be a response to if you lose four daughters in a ship. And you might write a song like it is well. Or maybe you're so enamored with the incarnation, so you write a song like Joy to the World, the Lord has come. Or maybe you were a slave owner and a slave trader, and God grafts your heart and you repent of that. And you turn and you understand that you were a wretch. And so you write a a song called Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Or maybe you're just a missionary on the field and you want to get the truth of God's love out to millions of kids. And so you write a simple little ditty that says, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. We sing the simple truths, we sing the deep truths, because we're singers. And notice, again, look at the text, this is what I love. It says, who who are we addressing sometimes? We're addressing one another. We sing about God sometimes, but you know, sometimes we sing, we sing songs to each other. Oh, worship the king. It's not, it's singing about God, but it's telling each other, hey, oh, worship the king. Crown him with many crowns. You're not telling the God to do that. You're saying, crown him with many crowns. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. You're, you're saying that to one another. When you say hallelujah, that's just kind of, kind of a southern kind of hallelujah, praise the Lord. Hallelujah is the, is the Hebrew. Hallel means to praise. It's a, an imperative. Praise Yahweh. That's what you're saying. You're saying praise Yahweh. Praise God. That's a command. You're telling people. And that's something we do. Why? Because it's important for this 18-year-old kid who thinks it's not cool to sing, to sing this manly 35-year-old who looks like he could tear down a tree with his hands, with his hands in the air praising Jesus. 
It's important for him to see that. It's important for others to see that mom who's struggling over there. Maybe her husband's deployed. Maybe she's going through a hard time. Maybe whatever. But you see her enjoying her father. And you're singing to one another about your father. You're singing deep truths and you're singing simple truths about God. You're singing in your hearts. It's not how good a voice in your hearts to the Lord. And so those who are spirit-filled sing. Verse 20, they also are thankful. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus. We have access to the Father how? Through Jesus. He's our dad. We're his children and we just give thanks. And our dad loves to bless us. And you know what? As a dad, I love to bless my kids. I love to give them stuff. I love them to take a surprise trip to Dairy Queen. I love to do little things for them. And you know what I really love is when I do something and they say, thank you, Daddy. My oldest son, Samuel, he's, he's the best at this in the family. He just always comes back. Dad, thank you. Thank you, Dad. I mean, I, that, that gets me pumped. And I can't imagine as a fallen, broken man that doesn't... If I reflect the image of God a little bit, that our Father in Heaven, when we just say, God, thank you for the... I mean, how many of you last week were thinking the, the picnic wasn't going to happen? And right at 12, 15, oh, you, a little faith. The sun, <laughs> the sun comes out and it was gorgeous. It was, I mean, I just thank, thank you, God. Thank you for some barberitos and some queso. And thank you for the sun. Right? I mean, just the simple things. Why not this week spend one day, if you read your Bible every day and you spend some time in prayer, instead of asking God for anything, try to spend one day, just one, one of your prayer times, just thanking God. See how, see how used to you are asking for things. Because you'll immediately find yourself, start, God, and please, oh. Just, just spend, write some things down and praise God and thank Him. Because it moves the heart of God. And it's, it's a sign of being spirit-filled. So there's worship and there's thankfulness. And finally, one more. Verse 21. is submitting to one another out of reverence. And we're going to talk about submission in a few weeks here. The word hupostasa means to voluntary place ourselves under. The idea is not we're all generals and yes sir and no sir and you go there and you go there. The idea is I don't regard myself as more important than others. And so I give my preferences away and I'm going to place myself under them. I saw, if you guys were here last week at 1115 service, you saw a great example when I said, look, we got 50 people in the fellowship hall. We need some free seats. And I had a ton of people just get out of their seats. What they were saying was, you are more important than me. You sit here. And that's what Christ did when he left heaven. He said, I am going to regard you as more important than me, even though I am God, and I am going to die for your sins. That's submission. That's laying ourselves out there. So that's, that's what we do for one another. That's a spirit-filled person. They're joyful and they worship. They give themselves away. Right? They appreciate in thankfulness. That's a spirit-filled person. That is Christ. That's the Savior. Read the Gospels. He worshipped. He was thankful. He gave himself away. That's what we want to be. Give yourself away. You're the boss. You have 300 people under you. Go to your employees. How can I be a better leader for y'all? How can I encourage you better? Go to your husband. Honey, how can I affirm you in front of the kids more? Go to your wife. How can I help you in this, in this response? Go to your roommate. How can I encourage you? Go, kids, go to your parents. Instead of always give me, give me, give me. How can I help mom in the church? How can I serve someone else? That's what we're talking about. Spirit-filled Christians. The key to living the Christian life is being filled with the Spirit. And so what we want is this as a church. We just want to have our sails up in the air. 
I said, look, you're looking at a broken man, sinful man. All right, someone who needs this as much as anyone. I am not sitting up here telling you how to do this because I've got it down. I am grumpy sometimes. I am critical. I am unloving. I am selfish. And I have need of a Savior as much as anybody else. And I have need to be filled continually, just like you. This is not we got it together and everyone else. This is coming with our sails up in humility, embracing and preaching the gospel to ourselves, in faith, and constantly keeping short accounts with our Savior. That's what we want to be. And so we're going to to finish the service, and this is what we're going to do. We're going to give us just a chance to do that. We're going to let the word of Christ richly dwell within us. You know how? We're going to celebrate the table. It'll give you a chance to to reflect on the gospel. It'll give you a chance to repent if there's unconfessed sin. It'll give you a chance to just to worship and pray in humility. And the way we're doing it is the men will come forward. They'll hand out the elements. If you're a follower of Jesus, you put your faith in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you're invited to partake. I'm not going to come back up. Just you, when you're ready, after praying, after reflecting, you take it right there in your seat. Think about the body of Christ that was crushed for you, represented by that bread. Think about the blood of Christ poured out for the forgiveness of your sins in that cup. And then we'll stand and we'll just worship. We'll sing. And don't pull a Beyonce. All right? Sing. If you don't know the song, try to, try to learn it. If not, just internalize the words. But just make melody in your heart. And the worship team will lead us and we'll worship. We'll let the word of Christ, we'll come in humility. We'll trust God's word and we'll worship and we'll sing. Let me pray. Father, you're good and you're gracious and we love you. We love your spirit. I pray that he would fall fresh on us right now. It is your will for that. Father, convict us if need be. Build us if need be. Admonish us. Encourage us. Whatever it is, we trust in the Holy Spirit. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the helper, the comforter, who will be with us forever. We thank you that we are sealed because of what Christ has done for us. May we be a people with our sails in the air, meditating on the gospel in humility, in faith, in repentance. And may you bring about joy and worship and self-giving humility, uh, thankfulness for your namesake. Thank you for the cross, forgiveness of sins through Jesus. It's in his name we pray.